Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Lorgoifs. I'm one of your hosts, Michelle. I'm A.E. And I'm Bob. And we are here with the first of hopefully at least uh, several stories by Django Wexler. <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> I'm just like, wait, I don't remember how many stories there are, but I think there's at least four. Um, I thought there was eight. eight. There are eight at least We'll just take the meat. We'll just take the median. It's like at least six around six stories. There are definitely 13. There are a god. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to guys. I just I'm checked. Have there to, are like, 17 episodes. Okay. I'm going to bring up my Excel sheet here. I'm going to plug this all in. Wait, and I found one, five more. Oh God. <laughs> Does that put us up to 26? I think so. Okay. I'm going to have to. Oh my God. It's just, it's, it's like, it's like they're multiplying. They're multiplying. Well, wait, I, I know who we got to call. Oh. We got to call Card Kingdom. All right. Car Kingdom, hello, help, help us by being such a wonderful sponsor. Thank you so much for being there for us. And if I believe right now, if you um, still purchase about over $25 of sealed Modern Horizons goods from them, they will throw in this excellent sticker sheet with awesome, I guess, genre, like, what is it? Modern. Tron. Yeah. Humans. Modern staples, modern deck staples that are really cool. I don't play modern, clearly. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't know if 8-Rack made that list. I know. I, haven't I don't know if Sliver's made it either. <laughs> I haven't played Modern since 8-Rack stopped being competitive, so I don't know what's happening nowadays. But you know what? Despite all of that, Card Kingdom still supports us, even though I don't play Modern. Our and, patrons yeah. also support us. And this week we're expressing our gratitude by giving a captive audience in foil to our beloved patron, Adam. Thank you so much for being a longstanding patron, Adam. I wrote the card name for this, which is, it turned out to be a deliciously flavorful card. May you cast Captive Audience in Commander and possibly an Oathbreaker, which I'm beginning to build decks for. This sounds like entrapment, if I ever heard it. Yeah, Speaking I'm feeling... Speaking of this week's episode, <laughs> by <laughs> <laughs> So, um, we are so excited to see this new series come out by Jago Wexler. We have been waiting for this for so long. One could say too long. Almost. Actually, yes, too long. Time is relative. It came out just when it was supposed to. We now have a wonderful little short story by Django Wexler basically giving us the groundwork for what will eventually become the events of War of the Spark. More story! More story! So with that, let's go ahead and start with The Gathering Storm. Part one. On a dark, gritty, dark, gritty street, a curtain of rain parts and outstruts Ral Zarek with a spark in his step. He stops to check his reflection in a broken window of a once grand manor now full of squatters. As I suspected. He adjusts his hair. I'm perfect. What he doesn't have any notion of is the rain behind him, which shimmers in neon blue streaming thought strands. Welcome to Ravnica, the Matrix. Out of the corner of his eye, Ral sees a rampaging frosted on leap out and a passerby. Rawr! Ral gasps and whirls, <gasps> but the dinosaur disappears in a glitch. Uh. Unnerved, Ral ducks into an abandoned theater house. It's darker than Rakdos' armpit and about as rank. Well, hello, Mr. Zarek, says Agent Tezzeret, removing his sunglasses of Urza. Yes. I am going retro. You better have a good offer. Ral says, picking his way between the moldy seats. For making me meet you in a bad part of town. Ugh. Does Ravnica have a good part of town? Ravnica is the height of civilization. This plane is primitive. 
full of revolting fleshy creatures. Can you smell them? It's baffling to me why you would choose to stay here. Is your mental processor running low, Metal McMetalface? Maybe a few thousand volts would set you right. Now, now, Mr. Zarek, that's enough name-calling. You act as though I wanted to come here. What a waste of my time. Can you believe Bolus would even bother offering you anything? But alas, I bring you one final ultimatum. A cruel ultimatum, you mean. Don't pretend you didn't see it coming. How many final, final offers do I have to reject from your emotionally insecure lizard of a master? I knew you would say that, Mr. Zarek. Tezzeret's ethereum arm began revolving in a pink glowing chainsaw. He leaps towards Ral, and Ral leaps towards him as well, coursing with storm power from his Mizium ion electrostatic clown obliterator Mark IV. The two planeswalkers careen toward each other with crackling death. Time expands, not from a spell, but from slow motion photography with a camera spinning around them. The fight goes on for 1,500 minutes. Is that the best you can do, Agent Tezzeret? As Ral reloads his Mizium sidearm for the umpteenth time, he has a radical idea. No, it isn't. You aren't trying to kill me, only distract me. Oh, goblin grease! Ral rushes out into the rain, toward the looming structure of Niv-Mizzet. He runs through dystopian streets, crowded with people carrying neon glowing umbrellas emblazoned with guild symbols. Welcome to Ravnica, Blade Runner. A demure agent flies her stealth kite past a floating billboard for an upcoming Bloody Nightingale performance. She glides toward the area of the Firemind. Stealing her way inside would be impossible. Welcome to Ravnica. Mission impossible. With Ral Zarek conveniently gone, the vice head of security is one watch captain Nero Jack. The Demir agent knows his critical weakness, comic operas. Last night she met him at one after ducking a thrown blini cake. She seduced the watch captain like a pro, and well, let's just say the wee dragonaut defense system won't be stopping her tonight. She yanks off her safety rope, careening toward the claw spire of the airy. Flying upward along its sheer surface, running vertically until momentum slows, and she can at last feel her body tipping back toward a lethal fall. And that's the moment she pushes off the kite and snags a hold of the windowsill with one hand. The other one is on her hip, so she can strike a perfect pose. Parkour! She attaches an it window cleaner to the plate glass, and it saws its way clean through. With a backflip, the agent is inside the guildmaster's lab. There he is. Niv-Mizzet, taking a dragon nap, tail tucked under his head, purring steam. Between him and her is a maze of revolving lasers. I mean, magic runes. Definitely runes. Me, 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 me. Me, 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 fire mind. Me, 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 I'm so smart. The agent contorts sensually between the runes. Ankle behind neck. Head behind butt, slinking her way closer, ever closer to the dragon. Her rain-slick leathers gleam in the flickering red light. Red, left leg, green, right leg, left leg, blue, 
right arm, red. She reaches him, his magenta-scaled magnificence. He's no elder dragon, certainly not, but Niv-Mizzet didn't get to be ancient by being less than paranoid. Once, only once, Jace had peeked into his fire mind, and ever since then he has shielded himself to prevent anyone seeing anything inside or stealing any of his brilliant ideas. What the dragon guildmaster had not prepared for is someone not stealing, but leaving behind a new idea. Welcome to Ravnica. Inception. We need to go deeper. The agent dangles, a shimmering thought strand over the dragon's head, and it worms its way into his ear. Then she cartwheels away for style points, faces the camera, and pulls off her face mask to reveal... Bolas! The elder dragon winks at the camera. <gasps> Bolas puts the mask back on, purees the mind of his slave agent, and hurls her into a stasis trap. Diabolical. <gasps> Rel arrived. Out of breath, with alarmed chemisters and guards buzzing around him as he made his way up the airy. After getting off the elevator, he entered the guildmaster's room with his heart in his mouth, expecting bloody murder. Instead, Niv-Mizzet lounged in front of a mostly pristine massive laboratory, fiddling with something between its claws. Zerk, the dragon murmured. You're late. Rao thought fast. Gotta smooth talk this dragon or else he'll make me into his next test subject. I, I, I was just assessing a threat to the guild and... Uh... I know you were meeting with an agent of Bolas. Nico Bolas. Rao's jaw dropped. Niv-Mizzet draped a claw hand over his foreleg. I've seen your text. I've looked at your phone. Who do you think pays the bill for that thing? Your Grixis fling subscription. Also, very peculiar. <gasps> I know you're a planeswalker. I saw you spark out the other day, last summer when I visited your dorm. I saw vaguely hidden shadows of your closet. A full-size poster of Gideon Jorah, muscled up and oiled down, shirtless with muscles galore, glistening in the Theros sunlight. Ral's mouth went dry, but he managed to spit out a few words. Y you know They call me the fire mind, not the lukewarm mind. I know you've been hiding this from me, but it amused me to see you running around like a headless goblin chasing after your little toys. Rao blushed. The arcanum was open, and every little secret Rao had hidden from the guildmaster had been dictated out loud, then dismissed with a knowing smirk. Oh, Niv-Mizzet removed his reading glasses, smiled, and revealed the body of the infiltrator in his claws, suspended in a bubble. And this Demir agent was found in my sanctum. I haven't forgiven Lazav for impersonating me and stealing my delicious food and reservation at Shea but I hate to think that he's allied himself with this other Bolas dragon. Oh? Yes, and Bolas is coming here. I think... At least based on his actions, no, I totally know. I've seen today from you and the interloper. We need to prepare Project Kaiju. I mean, a plan to make me the guild pact. But what about Jace? What about Jace? Jace hasn't been seen in months. You can't possibly tell me that he still deserves to be the guild pact better than me, Niv-Mizzet. It's true. He has won worst guild pact of the month for the last seven months. Plus... I know the spell that can do it. Oh. Your responsibility is to get all the other guilds on board. I know it's an easy task and you can handle it. Then you can take over this silly little guild that I've named for myself, but you can't change the name because it's named for myself. 
and I can properly ascend above all of you pools, I mean, over the guilds, and rule peacefully. Uh-huh. Uh, getting, getting all the ten guilds to agree. That's, that's impossible. Tough Dragon Tales, employee. Okay. Ralph scratched his head. Guess we're playing the game of guild packs. Dun 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 dun. No. Oh, uh, uh, Ravnik and Risk. No. The Monopoly Tenth District Edition with the special little figurines. So the one with you know, it's it's actually got you right here, the little metal one. No. Oh, okay. Uh, a pretty pretty princess. Yes, just go. Niv Mizzet roared and Ralzarek. Dashed away to arrange meetings. Dun 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 Ah, so seems like we've got an interesting little caper going on here. So I know that in comparison to like War of the Spark, where everything was just like, oh my gosh, we've got to move and get through all the action right now, right here. Everyone say their thing, do the thing. It's really nice to have a moment to step back and kind of breathe in the ambiance of Ravnica and really appreciate like the the setting that Django Wexler is is giving us as we begin this mysterious plan. I agree, and my favorite thing that I really just enjoyed soaking in it was when the description of when the drains sewer drains were vomiting up debris I think I, well, I, now <laughs> this is a city that I can relate to you know I haven't met a city where the sewers don't vomit up rainwater yeah. honestly if your sewers aren't vomiting up rainwater then <laughs> rainwater you need to get you need if oh, only just, we were so lucky <laughs> <laughs> it's true this is San Francisco it's mostly glitter don't like to think about it <laughs> yeah no it really is like that calm before the storm that I think we really kind of needed to set the, the stage and mm-hmm. so good. So the paragraph I think you're talking about, if you don't mind it, I'd love to just read it if it's totally cool. I mean, it's totally nerdy, so it fits in. So that makes it cool That by is default. a true thing. This paragraph is amazing because to me, it kind of encapsulates everything about Ravnica that I love. So the sky was gray from horizon to horizon, the sun only a vague hint of a brighter glow beyond the clouds. Rain marched down the boulevards in, in sheets, like a conquering army, infiltrated the tiny crooked alleyways, rattled the stained glass windows in the places of worship, and pattered off the trees in the gardens. In the squares, fountains overflowed, and the drains bubbled and vomited up debris. In the underground kingdom of the Golgari, far below the city streets, drips became trickles, became torrents, as all the water slowly drained down through layer after layer of ancient architecture, back to the long-buried oceans. It's like this beautiful layer cake of Ravnica, and I want to eat it. <laughs> it just it, It's really gorgeous. What I also love about that paragraph is the fact that we get kind of hints at all of the guilds, right? Everything from the gardens to the gardens of the Selesnia, to the churches and stained glass of the Orzhov, to the crooked little alleyways that a Demir agent might go to, to the seas of the Simic. It, it's just all-encompassing and all united by this torrent of rain, which is pretty awesome. I gotta say, um, well done. I I was I've really wanted to see Ravnica kind of portrayed like this for a while. And it's really satisfying to finally have it. Um, so, other than the pros, I mean, what do we think of of what's happening so far? I mean, first of all, Tezzer and Ral 
you know, two blue artificy dudes kind of finally coming to blows with one another. I think that their um, interaction was pretty standard, but honestly a little more subtle than I expected for Tezzeret. He almost seems like a little less flashy than when he was running things on Kaladesh. In this interaction, if you're a little bit surprised about how much disdain Ralzeric shows Bolas and that little fear, that's typical to his character. He has long since been somewhat disdainful for dragons, even dragons he probably should have more respect for, such as Niv-Mizzet. Well, I mean, Ralzaric at this point um, in the story has never had any reason to believe that Niv Miz actually knows anything that he's doing. <laughs> I so. fooled that silly dragon. <laughs> that dragon's like, I know that you drop off Tomic <laughs> yes. on the way back home after your we late are night being so boots. discreet. <laughs> Stop sharing my secrets. <laughs> I know you're drunk. I know he's cute. Stop <laughs> sharing my secrets. So I really do like the how bang on this interaction is between Ral and Tezzeret. Tezzeret has always been also a person of great pride. When we think about his background, the way he grew up, and now the fact that he is compelled to serve Bolas, like that is definitely something that really bothers him. And Ral knows that and can use it to needle him during this whole interaction, which is pretty satisfying. Yeah, I actually really like the way that they portrayed Tezzeret here. It's kind of like a, a Bond villain meets like a real villain, almost like a, a high tech villain. Like he's just, he knows how to poke and prod. He yeah. It's not just like, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. No, there's an actual mind game that's happening between the two of them, not just within battle, but when they, when they first start talking to one another, these are two characters that have known each other for a long time and they know their histories and know their backstory. And Tezzer actually ends up being the one to manipulate uh, Ral, when Ral is the one to kind of like poke at him at his ego. And he managed to do it without Gideon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, Tezzeret is like a walking sculpture of Ethereum art. So he's right to think he'll highlight himself. Yeah, but a lot of that came at great cost and great torture. And yeah, he definitely tortures people and he's, yeah. Well, it is interesting, though, to see Tezzeret in this very, very reduced state. I mean, we, at this point, we don't know that he has the planar bridge inside of him. We actually am not really sure at this point if he has the the portal in his stomach or yeah, what would be his stomach. We don't actually know when this takes place. I think so. It, it could yeah. be before Amonkhet. It may not be. It's, uh... So I think we're led to believe it's before Jason forms Niv Mizzet of what's going on. I think it's during Ixalan block. Um, that's my understanding, but it, it is what is definitely known is that this is happening concurrently with Nikki Drayden's stories. So there's that going on right there. So Nikki Drayden had all these really fantastic little snippets of what we got to see with like just life in Ravnica. And honestly, a lot of that grittiness, a lot of that urban feeling is being shared here in Django's writing. And it's really, really nice. Speaking of urban dankness, uh, there was some references to uh, what reminded me of Blade Runner style umbrellas, and I checked with uh, Janelli, and he is reviewing this. Apparently, the umbrellas are canon, which is uh, something I'd forgotten about, perhaps intentionally. Um, it does seem like a competing technology with cloaks, but I imagine that they are some probably expensive is it contraption umbrellas which might snap, snap off your head or something like that. Mm -hmm. or, and I, I did love the description of is it contraptions 
overall in this chapter. Oh, uh, yeah. No, they were so great. I love the little hints here and there of what they were. The I'm Mark gonna... 5 was actually developed from a child's toy that just kept killing people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, I'm going to quote this. Elevators were first developed by Burgo Sternwhistle, and he wanted to throw high-speed rocks directly up at the clouds. So that's how he developed elevators. So just yeah, little details a like that. For you. <laughs> just I, delightful. What I love about the writing in this particular piece is how it pushes and then it leads to these little flicks of like fun trivia that seems completely natural. Like, like Ral gets on the elevator and it's like, by the way, this elevator was developed by this person who wanted to shoot things into the sky or, and then he revealed his giant weapon, which is in fact a modified children's toy that had fried three clowns, probably Rakdos clowns come to think of it. This is sort of something that we see as well in his more serious asides. Like, for example, um, when he's describing the way that Bolas is taking over the Demir agent's mind, he says that he, you know, is a scaly serpentine presence and that he, like, snuffed out her will as easily as blowing out a candle. And it's just like this beautiful sketch of the subtlety that Bolas can achieve when he wants to. And it's a side that I've actually really missed especially after War of the Spark, where he's literally on, like, a giant DJ stage. <laughs> yeah, I love seeing different sides of Bolas. Because, like, if you think back to the the stories that we got with Kor, mm-hmm. with the stories where they're on uh, Tarkir, and you Katie get Elliot, this... yeah. Yeah, which I still love that Bolas, but it's very conniving, it's a very passionate, it's a very young Bolas where here we get this more masterful, like we see more of the blue, black, Demir side of Bolas mm-hmm. rather than what I would say in Core, where we saw more of, well, let's face it, the Izzet side of Bolas, where he's still smart and conniving, but it's driven by passion, where now he's driven by a plan and self gain. And so, I think power, too. I mean, at the core of Bolas, I think is black, but I do agree that is more expressed as a blue, black thing here. I suppose we should know precisely what thought. Bolas slipped into Nivmizit's head. Um, although I'm not... Do you think it's just simply that he's coming or that he should do this plan to bring the guilds together? I'm not... I, I don't. Nico Bolas is coming. He's it's, coming. He's I think coming. it's actually the plan for the planar beacon. Yeah, that's yeah. probably I correct. Think, I think that is the, the thought that was actually placed in there. What confused me a little bit is that there was a diagram already made for it, but maybe the implication is that... Nimiza just did it really quickly or hat or selected it out of, out of possible designs. Either so we yeah, had Project ahead. Lightning Bug, right, which was designed to detect planeswalkers as they come in and out of Ravnica. Mm-hmm. It may have been part of the design for that. And it was, then it was just, just good to go. He selected yeah. it. Or maybe he's just so good that he was like, I wake up and before Razali gets here, I'm just gonna design this freaking <laughs> this yeah. beacon right here. Or the thoughts in there just you know we're dealing with with magic and sorcery. I mean, you just, I've seen Michelle do it where she just like waves her hand over the paper and suddenly it's full of writing. Yeah, that's that's, that's true. not true. Well, that's how our scripts that's come out every. It happens every week, actually. That's not true. You did the one this week. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you, Michelle. Well, the thing is that we're we're not really sure, right? So one of my fun little harebrained ideas is what if Niv miss it becoming guild pact is in fact something that Bolas wants. Although I'm not really sure how that would work I out. Don't, yeah, now that we actually know what happens, I don't know if that would actually be I, the I case. think it's possible. I don't think that's the case. Only because I think 
Bolus knows he's going to, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> damn it, destroy the guild pact with his planar portal. Like he's thought about where that portal is opening, why it's opening there, and what it's going to do. Hmm. He knew exactly what he was doing there, so I don't think that unless yeah. unless he wanted to build in that that thought of fruitil- uh, fruitility, fertility. Uh, it uh, sounds great. Futility into into their plans of like, oh, I'm gonna make them plan to make Niv at the guild pack, and this is gonna be great because no. then I'm gonna blow up the lines. <laughs> Setting up, I'm this, gonna steal a picnic basket. <laughs> putting in a ironclad reason for the signal tower makes a lot of sense. I had assumed that it was something that Rao had orchestrated on Bolus's behest, but maybe it was more. It was also initiated by this idea planted into Niv Mizzet himself. Yeah, now that I come to think of it, it probably doesn't make any sense for Bolas to want niv to be the Guild Pact. And the fact is that um, Bolas doesn't really have too much of an idea what niv doing. Um, like, it's actually in Bolas' interest for the Guilds to be split up, which is why he infiltrated the Demir agent's mind and had her sneak into the Sanctum and then get caught, right? So that way it casts some suspicion on the Demir. And I mean, like, the Demir are literally a shady lot, so... Not doesn't take much. To I actually get there. had to read that twice. Um, that whole kind of interaction between the Demir spy and Niv Mizzet. Because when I read it the first time, I, I was so into it. I actually thought it was Niv Mizzet fighting back against this like thought strand of what was going on, mm-hmm. and him being like, huh, "I got you. You're not messing with me. Now I'm destroying your consciousness." And oh no, Bolus. Sorry, <laughs> not Niv Mizzet. Bolus. Sorry, wrong no, dragon. No, no, no. I oh. thought it was Niv Mizzet. I, so the the agent comes in and thinks that they're supplanting this thought. Uh huh. And I thought it was Niv Mizzet fighting back. Ah. And then I read it again. and I was like, Oh no, <laughs> no, no, no! It's 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 my my other boy, the Bolus boy, slave of Bolus, and she was sacrificed at end of turn. How about that? And she, yeah, she definitely was very much destroyed end of turn, which was unfortunate. But on the other hand, now the guilds are being set into motion it seems as if Ral's gonna go to the azorius first because he says why not start a meeting with the guild that loves meetings the most <laughs> to my mind i'm actually like no that's not a good idea because they love meetings too much and then you get stuck there and then you're never gonna meet the other guilds but that one i'm not Ral Zarek. well you have to prep them because they bring the best snacks <laughs> You think the Azorius bring the best snacks? No, I don't think so. I think the Rakdos bring the best snacks. They are like in charge of all catering on Ravnica. No, I take it back. Slesnia, best snacks for really? sure. Really? It would be all yeah, vegan. Yeah, it could be that or Simic, depending on your taste. I, I mean, I'm partial to uh, algae squids myself, but uh, to each their own. Wait, could you eat an algae squid? I think so. That's like... It, it's in the it's name. A, it's an interesting <laughs> interesting conundrum. I think it would be a really good umami, umami flavor profile. Um but, but yeah, no, it seems as if we are off to an excellent start. Um, not too much happens in this, but honestly, the ambiance, the writing is just so strong that I really don't mind. And it's, it's really, like I mentioned before, a nice break. It's a great first chapter, and it does give us a lot of insight into specifically Raul Zarek, which I think also helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's a lot more relatable now. Man, I, I'm sorry. I can't think anymore. I'm just looking at this snack on the table. And speaking of snacks, let's head right into our ad. Nom nom. New from Bounty of the Luxa, Unsettled Mariner Any Flavor Sea Snacks 
Simply think of a flavor, any flavor. Open a bag of sea snacks and taste whatever it is you're craving. Mine tastes like barbecue slivers. Mine tastes like garlic and black pepper goblin. Mine tastes like the slow roasting human flesh fleeing the dark oblivion of the horizon where I tower over the earth, eerie and Posing, scouring the landscape of delicious souls, leaving a void of despair in my wake. Mine tastes like grape. Not sure what flavor you're in the mood for? Try them all with Bounty of the Luxa Unsettled Mariner, any flavor sea snacks. Now at your local convenience store. Oh, mine tastes like hope. I don't understand. Is it to your desire or is it... Uh, it would be to your desire, if right? If you don't pay the one Carlos, it's random. Mm. Oh. <laughs> yeah. oh, this is like Birdie Bots Every Flavored Beans, I'm but say worse. I played that game, but it's worse. Well, we're back, and you know what? We actually have a near MCQ winner in our midst. Nearly. Wow. This close. So, so one of the things we wanted to we wanted to switch gears a little bit because uh, we had something really cool happen to to Bob this past weekend, and we wanted to highlight it and celebrate it and talk a little bit more about you know how to become a better player in terms of your mindset and also in terms of like tilting and and trying not to let those negative emotions overwhelm you. Yeah, because anybody that knows me and Michelle can attest, I. I get salty. You're so salty. <laughs> You're so salty. I, I, oh my gosh. I try not to let it affect my relationships, but I, I never want to put down another player, which I think I do well of, but man, do I get salty. Yes, you do. Um, you do a really good job of just letting me know though. And then I, I'll just give you your space. Michelle, I get saltiest the most with Michelle. <laughs> it's always Michelle. We'll be in the three O bracket. No, the O three bracket. Sorry, the O three bracket. The, the O two bracket. bracket. And Michelle will be like, "Yeah, my dick is supposed to do this. It doesn't do it." And then watch it does this. And I'm like, uh. in my experience playing Commander, it is always Michelle. That's not true. Just be- and I will be avenged. Just because I made you sacrifice all of your sea creatures and my I did lands. The Amina too. <laughs> yes, I made and your lands blow up too. That Forever. was fun. Forever. Was, I, okay, I'm not sorry. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. <laughs> that was an epic game. <laughs> but yeah, Bob, but, you you went to an MCQ this weekend, and and as I understand, you weren't even planning on playing. Uh, I was planning to play, but I wasn't. I, I had no intention of winning. I am not a huge competitive player. Like I, I like to play. But as we know, Justin, who sadly is not here today, Justin. is a fairly competitive player. Yes. Uh, so I was like, okay, cool. I'll go to I'll go to Sacramento with Justin. We'll play some fun magic. I was like, okay, I'll play mono red. I have it built. I know it's competitive. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Friday night, I was like, Justin, I'm playing feather. And he's like, if you're sure, I it's not a tier one deck. I don't know why you take it to competitive. But I support you. <laughs> this is this is the same person. You built standard cats, and you I built actually cats. and you did pretty well with it on game day. Uh, yes, I miss playing cats. I miss playing cats. Hey, well, you should play mo- cats and modern now. They might be better than slivers. Now, cats and modern, sliver cats. Um, but yeah, but, yeah. So I wound up placing fifth overall, but I had a lot of revelations because I tilted. All of my opponents. With Feather, bless you. With, with Feather. So here's the thing about Feather. Nobody planned for it. I was the only Feather player out of all, I think, 278 players. Oh, my God. Like, my opponents would see what I was doing, and they'd immediately go, oh, it's Feather. Okay. And they would immediately discount me, and then I would crush them. 
soullessly. <laughs> it's too bad um, I can't record my facial expressions because my face is like, oh, no, that's sad. Oh, that's great. Crush them. Crush them with angelic glory. Because because it was a deck that nobody had planned for, I, I immediately had an advantage. Mm-hmm. And I feel like because they got what's the underestimated the power of the deck, which is insane, by the way. 10th District Legionnaire should never been printed. Dreadhorde Arcanist should have never been printed. <laughs> <laughs> These two cards are are, are, are silly. <laughs> Especially when you mix them with draft draft like reckless rage and defiant strike. Yep. But as I started to combo off, every one of my opponents tilted. How did they tilt? Were they just like they were just immediately like they were picking up my cards and reading them, and you could see that they were getting visibly frustrated. Oh, that's like a- when they thought they thought they had it, so they got happy when they saw what I was playing because they then, thought they were going to win. Thought, easily. They thought it was a free win, and then as the deck starts performing and doing its thing, they realize, wait, this works. I have no plan for this. And then they get angry, and then most of my games went to three, mm-hmm. but I feel like I had an advantage going into game three, because I was able to keep my cool and be my kind of stoic self, and my opponents were, were tilting and getting angry and just trying to figure out how to answer everything. Well done, Bob. So why did you choose Feather? Because I wanted to have fun. Okay. So I think that is another advantage that I had, is I went into this expecting that I would scrub out and I was just there just to play fun magic. Mm-hmm. Like, cause you know, I could have played mono red, which is a competitive deck. It wins 60% of its matches. I know how to pilot it. I probably would have been fine, but I was like, meh, if I'm going to play magic, I just want to play, play magic. Mm-hmm. So flavor wise, was there any particular reason why you wanted to play feather? <laughs> yeah. Feather? It's suspicious. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just, it's, it's a, I know that you're a is gruely, you, a gruely kind of kid. Do you, are you a Boros, Minotaur at heart, yeah. Who loves angels? Do you feel like you're biased did you, did in your you, deck do you selection? Feel like you just maybe channeled your bloody nightingale character. I may have. Super hard. I, I may have. Because <laughs> uh, I did essentially strap angel wings on my back and I rode it all the way. Well, no wonder oh. your opponents were tilted. I mean, last thing they expected was a flying, awesome winged minotaur, Boros legionnaire person just going up their alley. I mean, first of all, I am. As, as a person who is mildly competitive just by nature, like that is incredible and I'm, I'm very happy for you. But I would also just like to say, well done in terms of style points. When I look at your deck list, it's like one of the most in-guild flavorful things I have seen out there. Like when I look at a lot of standard constructed decks, I don't expect things like flavor, um, except maybe that one time when Cats was like, Hello, and then they left. Or uh, mono black zombies. That was also pretty cool, flavorful. But um, you should try that in modern. Oh yeah, no, that's great. But uh, the fact that you were able to put together such an incredibly Vorthosy deck and go so far with this is is just it makes me quite happy. Yeah. So my moral though was one of my opponents, like I was sitting there playing. They were playing. Is it phoenixes? And they were tilling through their deck looking for these answers, which didn't exist. Because they'd sideboarded them out incorrectly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but oh dear! <laughs> um, they're chilling through their deck. They're getting angry. Um, they actually didn't see the feather combo until game three. And what so, is the feather combo? So the feather combo is uh, a weird replacement effect issue with not issue, but a uh, replacement effect with Dreadhorde Arcanist and Feather. So Feather states whenever you cast a spell that targets one of your own creatures, as that spell resolves, you exile it, and at the end step it goes back to your hand. Yep. Dreadhorde Arcanus reads whenever it attacks, you can cast a spell from your graveyard with CMC equal to or less than 
uh, its current power. Oh. So now, because these are both replacement effects, I get to pick where that card goes, whether it's to exile off of Dreadhorde Arcanist or Feather. Wow. Puts it back in my hand. Yeah, so you're constantly bouncing spells just into your hand ad nauseum. Yeah, yeah. so I can pick them out. The The trick is, is that Feather is actually not a May, so if I ever cast it from my hand, I can't put it into my graveyard mm-hmm. to then try and recast it with Dreadheart Arcanist. Yep. Um, but that interaction is really confusing. Yes. Right, because one says you should exile it, the other one says you exile it till end of turn, but because of their replacement effects, as the, as the player, I get to pick which one happens. Wow. Which is a really tough interaction sometimes. Yeah, no, that's definitely much more rules-oriented. I mean, replacement effects aren't really even in L1 territory. We're heading into L2. <laughs> like, layers very much layers here um so that's that's a really interesting interaction and again like that's really awesome but what were you what were so, you what were you learning game three comes yeah i i get the combo off i'm explaining it to the, to my opponent who is a top level magic player i should say but he's getting more frustrated and he's getting very angry and he's like i hate wizards they shouldn't publish cards like this blah, 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 blah. and you know it continues on I'm looking across the table, and I'm trying to keep straight. I'm trying not to tilt myself. I'm nervous. So this is later in the tournament. I'm like, I'm doing really well. My hands are shaking. Like, I can't believe I'm doing so well. But then I, I have this revelation as I'm looking across the table at, at this, this gentleman. And I'm like, that's me. I've been this person. Not that he's attacking me. Like, I don't feel like he's attacking me, but I feel like he's inadvertently kind of putting down my deck and what I've been doing, and the hard work that I've put in to playing these games, keeping my cool. So now I'm on a quest of self-improvement to not be that salty person anymore. Because I don't ever want to be that guy again. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm holding nothing against my opponent. I understand it's a frustrating situation. It was literally the person who won this game locked top eight. So I understand his frustration, but then he ends... Without saying good game, he says, you got lucky. <gasps> mm. And it took everything in my power not to say, I'm sorry my skill beat your top deck. Uh, <laughs> but he's like... <laughs> uh, <laughs> like that, that's what I wanted to say. That's what, that's what Inner Vindictive of Bob wanted to say. I actually just said good game and I shook his hand. Because I don't know why he thought I top decked. I scried like four cards off of, off of 10th District Legionnaire. But Even if you had top decked it, that's definitely beside the point. Yeah, uh, top decking like, is part of the game. And if you happen to luck into it, then that's just part of the game. I don't know. I'm a little bit upset to hear that he was so rude to you. And and uh, thinking about his comments about, you know, oh, wizards shouldn't print these things and blah, blah, blah. It, it just makes me feel, I mean, of course, I'm going to feel defensive on your behalf because you're my friend. But on the other hand, it's sort of like you had access to these resources as well. Like you could have put this together. The fact that you didn't, like it doesn't make you a worse player, but at the same time, it doesn't make you a better person or a bigger person or a better player to shit on someone's like super cool, very flavorful deck. Uh, and that's, you know, yeah. if anything, I would have been just really impressed. But then again, I don't know. Why. I later heard this person complaining that he always loses to bruise. And oh. <laughs> I was just like, well, that's part of magic. 
maybe yeah. don't use the internet for all of your information and yeah. read some cards. And, and um, it's it's anything like you you were rewarded for your creativity. I know that you like to put together things that are interesting. I know that you have an in, you're going to put together a bear deck. I think right. I'm building bear commander. You're bearing yes. Yeah, so you're building. <laughs> I'm going to bear, bear it all. You're going to bear force one. <laughs> bear just, force one. I mean, you're a bit of a bear yourself, my dear. <laughs> That's true. Um, <laughs> But what what I actually thought was really cool. So our, our match went to time. We were at like a 15 minute time extension because there were a lot of judge calls. I was also playing with a Japanese Gideon. Mm. So there was a lot of Oracle text understanding that, yes, things get indestructible, vigilance or lifelink. And yes, minus six exiles. Oh, Gideon is part of a Boros deck. How much more like, ah, oh, as a Vorthos, I'm just like, oh, tell me, tell me all the things. Um, but uh, what happened after is... I immediately had to leave. So I left the room, right? I was stressed out. Like, as soon as the match was over, I was like, I need to go outside and breathe. Justin, I need to hug. (laughs) Somebody come help me. But I actually had four or five players approach me and be like, that was rough. I'm sorry you had to deal with that. That is not how we want magic players to be. Yeah. We were watching your game. Those were good plays. And, like, it was just, it was so relieving, like, just to see other people approach and be like, hey, we're sorry. So I'm also going to try and be that person. Yeah, also, good good on them. If you see something happen that should not in the game store, it is important you speak up. Yeah. it. Um, I haven't played at a competitive, like, back when they were called PPTQs. <laughs> I played one way back in the day. Brought my modern 8-rack deck. And you know what? I just had fun. I just, no one expected me like you, but unfortunately they did have good answers because <laughs> because uh, affinity is a thing. But honestly, I was really taken aback by how thoughtful and considerate a lot of the players I met were, like how many folks came up to me afterwards and just had a conversation about like, whoa, you chose A-Rack. That's a, that's a really bold decision. And I'm like, yep, I know. It's my first one. I really like having people cry over having nothing. It's a, it's a I knew it. sick sadistic part I knew of my it. personality. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm really proud of you, Bob, and I, I'm happy to be here and help you in any way I can to help you achieve your goal. Because I like to see you bring your bruise and your awesomeness to this space, and, you know, you deserve to keep going and keep succeeding. Bob, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Stoic. I think you mentioned Stoicism at one point. It's a warrior mentality, which is brought to the fore by a... Roman Emperor, but also is very close to current day cognitive therapy. The main gist is you control how you feel. Other people in external events do not control your, how you feel. So, for instance, if you go to a tournament believing a few things incorrectly, you can cause yourself to become frustrated in some cases. Certainly other people can be rude and they can do other things. But if you go into a tournament, for instance, with the belief that you are entitled to win this tournament because you have a good deck or you have good skill or all the above. You might be the best person in the room on average, but magic has so much variance on it that the best person in the room is not likely to win any given tournament. But if you go expecting to win every match and you do not, that could cause a tilt when your expectations do not meet reality. Now also consider if you believe that your play skill and your match results, which we have stated are highly random, somehow reflect on you as a person and your intelligence. 
And if you believe intelligence is a fixed trait, a crystallized intelligence rather than something fluid, which represents your skill, represents the practice you've had with these decks and your experience with the decks. If you believe all those things, suddenly a loss becomes very grievous to your self-identity. Whereas really a loss might mean very many things. You were just unlucky. Your blood trigger was dipping and you had a few mistakes. And uh, it's important to get in the right mindset and have the right cognitive framework so when you go into these tournaments with the right attitude and i do appreciate bob's attitude of going into a magic tournament to have fun now it is a little bit different on the higher levels but ultimately magic is a game it's high variance you should never really expect to win but you can expect to have fun and it is within your power to have fun playing magic if you go in the right mindset yeah you only get out what you put in exactly it's a it's like a cat you get out what you put in. And You're it gonna... snots all over you? <laughs> just like a cat, Michelle? Just like your cats? I mean, I mean like, so so when I first got Lady Snuffles, she was super incredibly, you know, standoffish and, and very protective and very territorial and very paranoid. And I just kind of understood that as a part of her. I Like, she was, this is a new place. And so by showing her compassion and by giving her the space and the security and stability that she needed in order to let her open up and feel safe, she was able to kind of bloom into a much more cuddly cat who lets Bob just pick her up and fling her around. It's true, she's become so much more warm and generous with her snot. Yes, she is very, <laughs> very generous with all things, very much including her snot. But I think magic in the community is very much the same way you know you've got to put in that compassion not just for your opponents but definitely for yourself you were playing for how long bob uh i've been playing magic off and on oh i meant like that day how long were you playing oh man we started at 10 and i think we started the drive home at 9 30 p.m so you were playing for almost 12 hours straight yeah it was tough that is hard that is really difficult to maintain that level high level of strategy i think that you were very correct in making sure that you were okay. So well done. And to our listeners out there, also look out for yourself and have fun. Be kind to other people and yourself. Drink a lot of water. Oh my gosh. So dehydrated. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was tough at the end there, Bobby. It's it's tough in general to kind of go that long expecting you're going to have a short day. In anything, in anything. Like, I remember when I was doing a speech and debate tournaments when I was in high school and college, like the better you did, the longer you went. (laughs) And by the end, it becomes almost a test of endurance as much as skill, right? Because you're just like, I need to like vomit out a speech about blah, about like economic policy. I got lucky because I never hit that, that win and in, right? So like Mm -hmm. after round six, I was locked so I actually got to take a break and like I went and like I got a healthy sandwich and some water and I kind of checked out for a little while. It was really nice. I mean, I think that's why I lost game nine because mm-hmm. I checked out a little too much <laughs> <laughs> and I was tired. I mean, yeah, fatigue but, is real. But anyway, uh, thank you for sharing your story, Bob. Really proud of you. I'm glad you got to pilot your awesome Boros deck, like the most Boros of Boros decks I've ever seen outside of draft. You know what I realized? Generally, Lyra Dawnbringer has blank text, like flavor text on the bottom of her card, but Feather's an angel and becomes a four or five lifelinker. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> 
Uh, so with that, um, I think we're going to go ahead and close it out. But as a quick reminder, we are giving away a copy of War of the Spark. We will be announcing the winner next week. So keep your ears and eyes open for that. And if you haven't had the chance to go ahead and retweet that one particular tweet we had, please do. We've had a bevy of wonderful responses so far in terms of which one they would fight, Big Bantu or 25 Little Bantus, and how they would go about it. It's been everything from, like, Home Alone traps to, like, sticky things to just squishing them with feet. It's been very interesting. But you can't win unless you retweet. Them's the rules. Them's the rules. So no reply, do retweet. Thank you to our good friends at Card Kingdom. Mm Mm-hmm for helping us keep going and helping us be crazy people (laughs) in the podcast multiverse. And yeah, thank you again to our patrons over at Patreon. Without your help, we would not be able to get all of this done. As always, if you do have feedback for us, tweet at us at Lorgwaifs, or you can email us at lorgwaif at gmail.com. That, I'm one of your hosts, Michelle. Can we do one more? Thank you. Yeah, sure. Let's do a thank you. We gotta thank Yosh. Oh, thank you, Yosh. Yosh Danger Studios. Ah, where are you? Where are you in the world right now? In Greece? in Thailand you're Where like in the world is Yosh Yosh <laughs> exclamation Where point are you? <laughs> we're in California recording wishing you were here with us and with that I'm one of your hosts Michelle wait wait, wait. no okay gosh I'm just kidding God, God damn it. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts Michelle I'm A.E. and I'm Bob and we will see you next time goodbye
So uh, first we're going to start with C sounds. So Bogo stern whistle. Burgo stern whistle. Damn it, I copied this wrong somehow. Last summer, when I visited your dorm, I vaguely saw what I thought to be Gideon Jorah all oiled up. Turns out it was just a full-size body pillow. We'll talk <laughs> later. But the point is that it was on Theros. That, that was the key. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> the point not, is not the not Gideon body Not for the first pillow. time, the Lorgoyfs have gotten stuck on Gideon's well-oiled well, muscles. Uh, we and Ral, to be fair. <laughs> and who said name is it can't be an elder dragon? Stupid card types. Who wrote this? Oh, Tom Cruise. I just noticed that the word is not flesh, it's fling. <laughs> flesh makes a lot of sense. Uh, Freudian slip there. <laughs> this sentence is very mangled. Actually, I really like the chipper. The contrast? Yeah, the uh, contrast. I was just trying something different. Justin isn't us, but he's also not here today. <laughs> he's passed on. No, no, he just he had he's a work dead. event. He just had a work event. It's okay. We'll be okay. I promise we'll be okay. The second coming hold, of Justin. Hold my hand, Bob. Hold my hand. <laughs> Look in my eyes. We can do this together. Patooey, mine tastes like hope. Ah! Hope tastes like garlic. <laughs> <laughs> Why does it taste like garlic? But I am eating this. I'm hungry. So. Oh, yeah, no, go for it. Please eat the thing that I got. It may stick to the tissue.